It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. <laughs> Welcome to Learning to Listen. Charlie's hot on the uh, drops there. Yeah, yeah, L2L podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Quinn. Of course, with me is Charlie and Naomi. Uh, we've got a guest today, Tess Owen. We're going to be talking all about Jagged Little Pill. But before we get to that, remember, patreon.com slash learning to listen. Uh, that's where you get all the bonus stuff. You get to hear about uh, all the hot erotica that Naomi's reading these days, uh, all the hot raptor and sasquatch erotica that, that apparently she's erotica. gonna be into once we force her to read some <laughs> uh-uh. we ain't forcing her to do anything without those little t-rex arms boys <laughs> you never know what a guy can do with his with the with a little appendage you don't gotta give him a chance mm. um that's not talking about anybody here but anyway so patreon.com slash learning to listen that's where you can find all that stuff you get early episodes you get bonus content you get to help us out you know, it's cold out there and uh, we need to keep the heat on. So, so you can help us out. Uh, yeah, and I was just going to say, if this is your first episode of Learning to Listen, what we're about here is, it's not a biography. <laughs> Nobody here are experts. This is more about our gut reaction uh, to the albums that we're listening to and, you know, the memories and and uh, whatever else about the artists and albums that uh, our guests bring to us. So that being said, I would love to introduce everybody to my friend, Tess Owen. Tess, how's it going? It's going. How are you? Good. Big good. I feel like I haven't seen you in real, actual, real, real life in a long time i think it was that like my wedding back in 2007 i holy shit maybe further maybe later but i mean that's the last time i can guarantee that i saw you yeah well we were definitely in the same room that day for sure exactly but yeah it's been like since we hung out hung out like what 20 years uh, no, there was a few nights clubbing uh, oh, back in the early two thousands. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, but then you went and got married, and then you stopped hanging out with everybody. Got <laughs> divorced, and then I'm not hanging out with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't even know what you're doing these days, except running all the time. I, I follow your Instagram, and you're that's all you you're just running. I don't know what you're running from, but yeah, well, that's like all I do. But I mean, <laughs> I I don't know. I've got two kids, and I yeah, I run a fuck ton. Of, are we allowed to swear on here? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Please do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm an elementary school teacher by day. Uh, like just doing nothing but running and that's it. I have no other life. So yeah, so far we've mostly been talking to musicians or people who are in the music industry, but I decided uh, I'd, I'd give you a chance because you approached me and we're like, I, I got to come on your podcast and, and, and talk about some stuff, <laughs> but just to prove that you have some credentials. I, I did dig this up. I don't know if you remember being in a little band called Cypher. Oh Yeah. Oh my god, you I don't even have a copy of that album anymore. Oh, look at you look at you guys being perfectly pensive on oh, the back there. I was so angsty there. I know. <laughs> like did the photographer literally tell everybody to like frown? The photographer I think was the drummer's sister. And yeah. I was dating the singer and I was the chick bassist. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know what, though? Being in the band actually got me my first teaching job because um, I went and spoke to a principal after I graduated. And uh, he's like, so what do you do? And I was like, well, you know, I can, I, I like drama and I played in a band. He's like, oh, you can teach music. And I was not pedagogically trained in the slides. I'm like, yes. So I became <laughs> a music teacher. And that was how I got my teaching career started was being the music teacher with absolutely zero music teaching experience. But I played in a band. That's just that's fake it till you make it, right? That's what they all say. That's all I did. <laughs> Still well, doing. That's, that's real world experience, though, right? That's like you can't money can't buy that. Well, but those who can't teach, right? So here I am. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. Well, um, this has got to be a collector's item by now. If you don't even have a copy, how do I even have? A copy? I know. I, got that I one have too. some stickers. They were they were really like little angsty stickers and it was like the before that album came out before i was in the band um they put out this little ep called the ray brower ep the ray brower being the guy who died on stand by me the kid oh and, right yeah and it like had the kid's face and um and then but with like two black lines on the side like a canadian like a really angsty canadian flag and we would <laughs> like stick it all over the place on walls and on, oh, I think that's like, right there there it is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go that's the guy yeah so that was uh oh man so you know what ended up happening was i was in the band i was like this is cool i actually pop fronted the money being this like totally lame individual to cover that cd and then they were like yeah well we don't like the mastering of the cd so we don't want to promote it and we didn't even have the cd at our cd release party because it didn't show up on time. So I think we had to sell like IOUs and uh, oh, it was just awful. And then they're, they're like, yeah, we don't want to sell out. And uh, I was like, yeah, but I need my money back. And they're like, yeah, but we don't want to sell out. And we were against the man. I was like, fuck this. And uh, eventually it was like, okay, well now we're going to put out the next album. And the drummer and the singer started to like record or like, do the songs I'm like I want to participate this is you know I kind of I feel like I'm a member of the band They're like yeah but us again and I was like oh I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I gotta go back to school so <laughs> I, I I quit the band I dumped the guy I started hanging out with you guys and I went back to school <laughs> nice nice yeah. I think you made the right decision the decisions. yeah those are good decisions yeah. I mean what are what are these guys doing these days huh anything uh, huh? well ironically the the singer, my ex boyfriend, is also an elementary school teacher. So oh, he probably <laughs> saw the path you were on. And was like, oh, maybe I should make some better life choices. Uh, you know what? And it's really weird. A lot of my ex boyfriends and even my ex husband became teachers. So really, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It, I think again, those who can't. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many of them? How how many of them are runners? Uh, just my current boyfriend. Yeah, but uh, yeah. That's that's a keeper. I'm hoping. Yeah. Right but, uh, yeah. No, I don't stop running. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I know if I if I ever want to know what you're doing, I just like check Look Instagram and I'm like, yeah, you're still running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because we do ultra marathons, so they're oh, like, wow. it's a marathon. Anything over a marathon distance is considered an ultra marathon. So. And especially since all the races were canceled this year, we just like did casual 50 kilometer races. We did a casual hundred miler. Five zero <laughs> casual. Yeah. 100? You put those two, you put those terms together and you're like well, casual. 
Well, and it was, it really was. I mean, it was like, let's run around Pigeon Lake. It's about 56 kilometers. Okay. It took us about seven hours. So yeah, <laughs> actually we're doing it again next weekend. No, not, we were going to do it again this weekend, but the person couldn't, the snow was too much built up. So now we're going to do it in like three weeks. Oh, wow. And you're out there in this polar vortex doing it too, right? I, I don't know if you notice. I've got some frostbite on my cheeks. It's starting to go away now, but uh, oh, wow. yeah. But you just kisses put, from Jack Frost? That's exactly it. You put Vaseline on your face and it's like a last code of defense. But then you have like the mask and the the worst part is when your eyeballs freeze. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, I've never had that happen in my oh, entire cool. life. Just, happen. just stay inside. Weird no because i don't have a treadmill and honestly like some people do therapy and this is cheaper so fair fair there you go no that's <laughs> fair enough yeah uh well uh i guess when you're running are you ever listening to music um i don't but i mean i mean i have a constant narrative through my head <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say do you just repeat the lyrics from jagged little pill over and over again in your head while you're running or i'll think about it are well, we segueing into Jacob? Yes, I'm trying to find a clever way to segue. Hold on. <laughs> do you mean? Do you mean um, "Jagged Little Pill" by? That that jagged little pill. That's the one, Charlie. By. Um. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so, that's the album. Um, yeah. that, that was not the album. <laughs> well, that's not the album. Yeah, that's Rest Wesley Willis. Wesley Willis. Rest in peace. Yeah, chachum chachum. Okay, so Alanis Morissette. I feel like once you reached maybe the age of sixteen, it was really cool to make fun of Alanis Morissette, and I feel like it's still in some ways. It's. <laughs> A lot of people, they don't want to really admit that at one point they really loved Jagged Little Pill. This well, okay. is why I love it. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Um, so, yeah, so the same question that I, I posed to all of our guests, the one okay. about what's the album, if you had to pick one. And I know it's not easy because there's more than one. There's more than one song. There's one more than one artist. But if you had to pick one that's the one that, like, turned your head, really made you pay attention to music, made you fall in love with, you know, music and and the art form and which would it be and you said ooh, like you, without hesitation i think you answered me like that you were like oh jacob little pill it's got to be jacob little pill immediately yeah so that's the question the big question why this album okay so i got into alanis like all girls when i was about in grade eight and I say girls because I really don't think any guy would really truly admit that they loved Alanis Morissette and Jagged Little Pill. That's embarrassing. But <laughs> why? And this is where I'm going to get into it. Why was it embarrassing? And I'll tell you why. This is my theory. Okay. Because there was other, other things that I had started to listen to back. Okay. You didn't know me when I was in grade eight, but it's probably a good thing. I was a total like loser like i was made fun of and bullied really really hard i was really into dinosaurs um i hadn't quite figured out how to like be i don't know one of the girls but i you know not quite a girl not yet a woman but also not uh i couldn't relate to guys i couldn't relate to people uh in general maybe like scientists and stuff i was really into dinosaurs 
I do remember one of your claims to fame when I met you is that you had uh, found a fossilized uh, piece of excrement. <laughs> well, no, no. People are like, you found a bone in your backyard? No, no. It was fossilized skin impressions uh, oh. just outside of Edmonton. Yeah. And you can actually visit the site now because it's now currently owned by the Edmonton Area and Land Trust. But okay. at the time, I had to say a, a creek outside of Edmonton because it was on private property. Oh, okay. But it was it was housed for a while. I don't know if it's still there. And on display at the Terrell yeah. Museum, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found it around that time when I was about 13, 14 years old. Like, I was really into dinosaurs. See, now, I don't know. Maybe I don't like why anybody would bully you. Because if I had met you then, and like, I, even when I did meet you a few years yeah. later, I was like, that's the fucking coolest thing. Dinosaurs <laughs> are the best. Yeah, dinosaurs are so cool. But remember the way junior high was? It wasn't Vic. Oh, like yeah, we, no. So the glory part of Vic was going to Vic was where, like, I hate, like, no offense. I hope you take this as a compliment. This is where all the freaks and geeks went, right? Like, yeah, Oh, Vic yeah, totally. Where the, where the cool kids would stay the hell away from, and everybody else went to Vic. And that's where we could be cool, and that's where we could, like, be unique in our individual, you know, really interesting selves who – you know, reflect on which we were really cool, but the, the mainstream, you know, cool kind of thing, they, they went to JP and they went to Shep and they went, you know, or, or Wagner or JPP or whatever, but uh, they didn't go to, they didn't Vic. go to the art school in no, town. Yeah. Definitely didn't go to Vic. Um, and then, and then as a guy, you going to Vic was even worse. I'm sure this idea of like, cause the, I think there was like 25% of the people who went to Vic were men at the time or guy boys I guess were, we were really we were yeah that's true right we were outnumbered actually man now that you bring it up that was amazing well yeah but <laughs> but like boys definitely didn't go back it was like you were an artsy girl right so i i mean this has changed i'm sure in a big way but um any case so i was this really uncool socially inept disorganized daydreaming uh, you know, kind, like, kind of a nerd. Very much so. Not kind of. <laughs> I didn't want to put a label on you. And and I was bullied a lot. Like I had I had like guys who lived a few doors down, like try to stop me and, and threaten to beat me up. And this is like guys, not not just like the bitchy girls. They did that, too. But this I was like universally like mocked and made fun of and um and i had like pranks pulled on me and my lockers were defaced and it was just a it was it was just wow like, yeah that sounds I rough to, so i went to it's i mean and so now here i'll here go to like music um a lot of the girls were into pop at the time in junior high it was all backstreet boys and spice girls and and sync and they were really like they would dance in the classrooms to Backstreet Boys songs. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. My brain wasn't there. And what I, but what I, what I could get into like earlier back in when I was a kid, there was the chipmunks great adventure. Do you remember that? <laughs> that, that movie? I remember a bunch of chipmunks. I don't know if I remember that specific one. <laughs> the, the movie was called the chipmunks great adventure. Oh, and they were, like traveling the world in hot air balloons, trying to find crystals. Or okay, yes. I 100% remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And at one point there was this, this scene, this, this song montage where it was like the boys of rock and roll and the girls of rock and roll. And then they, they have their, their axes and they, they storm up to the top of the pyramid and they're like, we are the boys, we are the boys, we are the boys of rock and roll. And then they do this like, <laughs> complete jam riff at the very top and this screaming guitar solo and, I was like, oh, this is the coolest song I've ever heard in my whole life. I was probably like seven years old. So I had this idea that like rock and roll was awesome because of the chipmunks. But I hadn't, <laughs> and so I am a geek, but, the, but I hadn't been able to sort of establish this um, as an identity because my dad listened to talk radio and my mom listened to like Jose Feliciano and um, what was it called? Who the the... With the, that Celtic group, the Rankin family, and, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, and uh, and Van Morrison, and and um, my, Van Morrison was some rock and roll. Well, not not his new. I'm talking more, not his brown eyed girls. Like his con- his contemporary, contemporary stuff. Yeah, and like, the whole trio, and like like very contemporary sort of music. Yeah. And so one album that I had of hers that I loved was Sarah McLaughlin's Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. And I listened to that one a lot, but it was glossy and she's got this beautiful, like structured voice, very well trained, you know, it's beautiful music and it's great in my singing range. So it was fun to sing along to, but it wasn't like I could identify with her. And then my one friend who lived two doors down she had an older sister her older sister introduced me to ace of bass and hole and that song violet Mm -hmm. and i could hear her listening to that all the time but it was kind of (laughs) scary it was like you know as a as a as a kid with like in a middle class, upper middle class home with no concept of any very sheltered, you know, kids in grade nine were dropping acid and I wondered why they were sucking on batteries. Like I just couldn't, I was not in that. Right. right. I was just nice girl who had never tried a cigarette, who had never done anything, who didn't have the, the social standings to do that. So I'm listening to the much music video countdown and I see hand in my pocket and the first thing that catches my eye is her hair. And it's just that part in the middle and straight with the wave. And she's not like stunningly gorgeous. You know, she's very like ordinary as far as like a singer is concerned. Right. Like not overly done up makeup. No, no. well, but also like Alanis's face is not like. Traditionally. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Like it's flawed. It's she's not this this stunning starlet kind of thing. She's just like she's pretty, but she's not like famously pretty kind of thing. And she just had this hippie hair and she's just and the song was nice. And I thought, okay, this is kind of interesting. And so I I got the album. I had got had my butt mitzvah, I had some money. I went and bought a boom box and I bought Jagged Little Pill. And then I started listening to it and what then caught me was her voice um, because it wasn't glossy and it had imperfections to it. You know, she had that little roll off whenever she would sing and it wasn't, mm-hmm. even, and the, the music itself was good. Like you can't deny that she had, she had a really strong backup band, 
was mm. good production, you know, like Taylor Hawkins was the drummer on that band and, and yeah. Glenn Ballard produced the album. Like it was a well done band. Um, um, bass, Lance, Lance Morrison on bass. Oh, he was, it was such a, like the bass lines in that album are fantastic. Yeah. Although it is flea on you ought to know, apparently. Is it really? Yeah. That was that was the one big uh thing that were one of the few big things that I grabbed from from this re-listen and, and reading about it is that actually on on You Ought to Know, uh they there's both Dave Navarro and Flea. I knew Dave Navarro did it, but I didn't yeah. know if he did it. But like oh. that, that's what I'm saying. It's like she has this incredible backup band for her songs. Um, but it wasn't well, Hand in My Pocket got me the album, but it, the, the song that I really connected to was her very first song on the album. And it was All I Really Want, which I don't even know if it was a radio hit, but uh, but it was like all I, she, she talks about her sweater on backwards and inside out. And it was just like it just the and then just the way that she stops with the music and and then uh, she's like, you know, I don't know. She's talking about men and I didn't, couldn't relate to the men part, but what I could relate to was that she had this sort of ferocity, but it wasn't, uh, unlike, unlike whole, it was something I could, I could understand because she was not, she was kind of geeky, you know, and she wasn't especially cool and she wasn't like scary like <laughs> right like courtney love was like unapproachable like yeah, she didn't scream she sang but her singing wasn't glossy it had like weird trail offs and tra and she was never professionally trained that i knew too it was, it was all self self-taught she just kind of belted out she was 21 years old and she um you know she was didn't wear makeup barely it didn't look like she brushed her hair you know she didn't ever you could never there was never stories about her doing drugs she wasn't like she was she was just she was canadian like she was relatable and so she, she wasn't scandalous yeah no and she never she never actually ever was like there is no scandal to alanis morissette like well she was, just dave coulier mm, but okay <laughs> but that's more like an after the fact thing it's yeah I know. like like i know people need something right they need the tmz something right. with their celebrities but that's the other thing too is that too is relatable it's like you dated him oh well i did right like <laughs> you dated dave coulier <laughs> right it's like okay you also have that embarrassing ex-boyfriend we get it so so it's like and this is i think why she's kind of embarrassing to people later oh is this part of your theory about yes. why why men yes. are embarrassed to admit they like yes. lines more so and it's not just men it's like once you it, it's almost like once she hit her her india phase she lost her cool factor and so here's my thought she she's ele her writing it's not fiona apple over the top but mm -hmm. it is pretty eloquent it's pretty intelligent compared to like go on take everything like it's not mm -hmm. not just oh, yeah. speaking. she's she's she speaks a lot and you can tell she's got an education and she wants to show that off so she's yeah. intelligent she's angry but she's not destructive you know and she's geeky but she's not uh but she's not full-on nerd like who is that chick with the glasses lisa Loeb. 
Yes. That's cool. Thank you. There's a there's a 14-year-old <laughs> Quinn with a boner right now. <laughs> Just thinking of Lisa Loeb in that little green dress. Right. Well, running and around. Okay. Alanis Morissette definitely was not the one giving me the 14-year-old boner. No, 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 no. And that's the other thing is that, like, you think of all of the, the riot girl bands, like Veruca Salt. Like, they all had a shtick. Like, they had the mini skirts with the combat boots, you know? And and this was a thing, like Elastica. They all had, like, these these images to them. Whereas Alanis wasn't tacky like that. Like, she wasn't, she wasn't trying to show off her body. She wasn't trying to infantilize herself. She was demonstrating herself as an educated, slightly geeky. Mm-hmm. She was full-on appealing to middle-class, like normal not drug addicted kids who actually had like mental health issues maybe you know or or just dealing with with oh yeah problems, right but it wasn't but it wasn't like in an inaccessible way for a for a 13 year old canadian geek yeah yeah okay so you just been, touched on something that i thought of when i was listening back to the album uh the last couple of days and it dawned on me how she really really resonated like i think i must have been in grade nine when yeah, you're the your... album hit yeah yeah and um and and i like i remember the hits being big hits and it really really resonating and now that i've gone back and examined the lyrics a little closer i'm like man these themes are so adult in some mm-hmm. ways but like in a way that it's almost it, like for for kids to relate for younger people like young adults you know people who are in junior high and high school to relate to a lot of these lyrics i kind of understand that there's a weird kind of almost you're adult you're like a, you're you're living vicariously through her in a way that she's making you probably feel a little more adult than you are yeah, and I don't know, like when I when I was reading, like when I think to lyrics, and honestly, I had that album memorized. I still could probably go through the album front to back, um, including the secret track. And my mom actually banned me from listening to it at one point before the concert because I wouldn't stop listening to it. And then I bought tickets to the concert and went when I was in grade nine and then belted it. And then I was allowed to belt it out. <laughs> my lungs like it was like I was obsessed with her and um it wasn't so much the lyrics with her it was the feelings that she the way she portrayed the lyrics while her her singing was vulnerable yeah and I was thinking that I'm like okay maybe that's what it is it's it's that like I said the vicarious thing but it's also a bit of that the emotion because she's only 21 so she's still singing and and processing a lot of her experience as a young person who even though maybe she ended up in a few more adult situations than you would have when you were like you know 12 13 14 it's like you could still understand you could still understand the emotion you know yeah yeah for sure and that's i think that's that's the part it's like she's she's approachable and she allowed herself to be vulnerable but not hypersexualized like a lot of the tartlets of, like remember Britney Spears that time like the school Catholic schoolgirl thing like could you like yeah. how could I relate to that 
Like I wanted to wear Vans and baggy jeans. Like how could I relate to a Catholic schoolgirl outfit? I thought that was so friggin' weird. Well, yeah, it's interesting because like uh, on this album, I never caught it before, but she has a whole song about uh, about about going to church as a Catholic. Yeah, for uh, sure. Called Forgiven. And I have to say it actually, for me, it stood out on the yeah. album, this list. And I was like, oh, I know why this wasn't a single, but I think this could have been another single. I liked that one. The only song on that album that I really... Well, there was a couple songs I didn't really like on that album. The, my least favorite was track number three. It was called Perfect. And it is the weakest one. And you know, that's the one that they that they tried to shop around yeah. to get her a record contract. And then they were wondering why they couldn't get a record contract. I'm like, because you picked the weakest song on the album. And not only is it weak, but her voice falters in that yeah, one too. It, it sounds rough at times. I was like, it, wow, yeah. Yeah, like she goes off key briefly, which also is not that... Like when I reflect on it later, that's actually kind of cool. Like I know, like, uh, like, uh, yeah, I think that's it is cool, but it's definitely she falters in that, and yeah, which wasn't normal at the time. Um, Naomi, what, what were you gonna say? Um, I was wondering how aware everyone was of her career before Jagged Little Pill. Ha! Uh, well, <laughs> Quinn. And, and- and where she had come from. Oh, that. well, we do have we do have an interesting story about this. But okay, Naomi is our resident '90s expert. She's got her own podcast called uh, Dope Nostalgia. Okay. So Naomi is very, very well versed in the fact that Alanis. Uh, well, go ahead and tell Naomi. Well, she had she had released two pop albums in Canada before she became Alanis Morissette with a completely different image. Um, mm-hmm. She they were trying to market her as a pop tart back then, but with a little bit of an edge to her, right? She had a few more guitars in the songs and and whatnot, but her image was polished. She was wearing makeup and doing the dancing and all of that choreography, whatnot. Um, I met her when she came to promote her second album when she came to the radio station at Power ninety two, and I think she was seventeen at the time. Oh, and, so young. Uh, yeah. Oh, she was lovely and everything, but you could tell that she wasn't completely comfortable, I think, with the idea of this image that was put out for her. Hmm. And I think that when she got signed to Maverick, which is was Madonna's label, Maverick was the one who embraced her and she released Jagged Little Pill on that album. I think having someone like Madonna in her corner really motivated her to have to be herself and be that person who expressed herself in, in a way that was genuinely her finally. So. Yeah. I would like I to know how she wrote songs because I get the impression that it's lyrics first. Like she writes poetry mm-hmm. and then goes into the studio and her and um sorry, what's his name again? The uh, Glenn. Um, Glenn Ballard. Glenn Ballard. Ballard yes. That yeah. he sits down with the, with her maybe singing some melody or something like that, or the words and finds structure to that. And, and starts going like, okay, here's, because the way the music kind of comes about, you can tell it's supporting the voice and not the other way around. It's not like they came up with chord structures and parts, of, you know, and we're like, oh, and then sing to this. And it's got a very loose feel to the whole thing. It, it, it's almost like musical meditations in the way. There's groove, there's, you know, rhythm, but they're, they're not strong they're not hugely structured structured songs in the arrangement beyond the fact that it's like they do have verses and choruses. But hey. like, I would hate to try and be in an Alanis Morissette cover band. <laughs> These songs would be so hard to learn. Oh, because the, mm-hmm. well, the, the re- supporting 
um, tracks are like they're complex. They're not like just simple, you know, power chords. You, well, they're not just your common chord structures, right? Yeah. You know, it's like they're not. It's not intuitive. You couldn't just get up and jam these. These would all be jam busters. <laughs> so like, Quinn, yes. did you know that? So this is a an interesting story. So yeah. Oh, I know this. I'm pretty sure. But oh, go no, tell it. Tell it. <laughs> so my high school boyfriend and the guy actually who introduced me to Quinn, um, his dad produced those first two albums. Oh wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is his name Leslie Howe? No, no. it's uh, Don Marcotte. Don he, Marcotte. Okay. Yeah. And actually, he did a couple of, because he works in television, and that's how he ended up here in Edmonton. Back oh, yeah. in the day, he promoted Alanis through some video production he did that was like up and comer. And, and so he got to know her, you know, helping her um, promote herself. Mm. And because of that, because she was a young girl who, you know, needed money, <laughs> she ended up babysitting uh Tessa's ex-boyfriend, like a, maybe once or twice. He he oh, made wow. it sound like they were best friends that hung out all the time. But uh. <laughs> and I'll tell you, um, so she came to town. Uh, I think we were in grade eleven at the time. She came to promote um, her second, her not her second, but like her fourth album, the the one from India. I I, I don't even remember what the name of the former album. infatuation junkie. Junkie. It was a long one. Yeah, and. I didn't even buy the album. Like at this point, I'm I've progressed. Like I've I've moved on to like Soundgarden and things like that. So I you weren't I, scared anymore of that. No, cooler. <laughs> I went to Vic. Yeah. Right. Right. But, <laughs> and I met you guys, but um, we were like Alanis. Ew. <laughs> well, well, exactly. At that point, it legitimately was uncool to like Alanis. And I was no longer in junior high. I wasn't as geeky. I'd sort of found myself a bit and. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I could, it was like saying she was kind of part of that, that former world. Um, but uh, Travis, who's, who is that guy? Um, he's like, yeah, I know Alanis personally and, and I could get you a ticket. I'm like, sweet. And you know what? It never happened. I ended up <laughs> with my other friend and bought tickets myself. So I yeah. remember a very similar story where <laughs> he was like, she's going to come over to dinner at our house. And <laughs> I went over. Guess who never showed up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, more yeah. Set. But it, so it was complete coincidence where I was like, you know, addressing him. Uh, I loved Alanis Obsessed. He's like, well, I personally knew Alanis and my daddy produced the album. I was like, you know, whatever. <laughs> <gasps> I know who you're talking about now. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, he's a he's a local Edmonton musician now. So he's, still a musician. And... he's also a teacher. Oh, oh there yeah, there you go. And he... <laughs> I don't know if he's still working in television, but he did work in television locally for a long yes, time. So, um, yeah. So, okay. Well, let's let's get into the 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 moving on part. Um, so, like, what like using Alanis as maybe a stepping stone? Like, what other music did it get you into? Like, listening to Alanis, how did that open your horizons to? Oh, well, she got me into angsty girl music and into more of the alternative scene. So my uncle, my late uncle now, but uh, he had given me a couple of albums that um, as, as birthday presents that I hadn't brought myself to open at that time. But one was, um, was uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. And then the other one was um, Alice in Chains, the one with the three-legged dog on the cover. And oh, yeah. uh, so that, 
so I started listening to that, but really like it was in grade nine, it was still kind of like light, not like that. There was no visceral stuff for me at that point. It was more like I got into no doubt and the presence <laughs> of the United States of America. And I had melancholy and the infinite sadness, but it was just like my friend Deanna who liked to listen to it more. And I just didn't, you know, I, I think I fell into the whole Smashing Pumpkins thing by proxy, not so much because I was really into them. But it was like all the kids of Vic like Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, I can relate. I kind of hate the Smashing Pumpkins to this day because <laughs> everybody told me I had to like the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I now I'm just like, no, nah, guess what? I'm never going to like the Smashing Pumpkins. I was so obsessed. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't. And so it was like I could never really like relate to the super, like the ones who are really into like the drugs and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I really got into a lot of the Canadian um, alternative. Like I really liked Moist and Our Lady Peace back in you know that time. And then I progressed from there. I sort of, I discovered Soundgarden too late. Like I discovered Soundgarden in 99. By the time they were audio slave? Yeah. Well, by the time, they, <laughs> no, yeah, well, almost. Cause I think they, they disbanded in 97 and I got into them in like 99 and I, I discovered my my um, super unknown album. And then I got into Down on the Upside. I'm like, oh my God, Down on the Upside is like the greatest album. Mm-hmm. And I just, I like that one way better than super unknown. And then I went back further and went into Bad Motorfinger, but it was just like, I kind of went into them like, through back and forth and but I did that with a lot of albums like Our Lady Peace I got in through Clumsy but I ended up liking Navid better you know it's just but I I wasn't into them at the Navid time so it was yeah I kind of drifted a bunch but um yeah um there a lot too yeah but but it sounds like in this case it was this is the bridge between kind of the alternative rock that was popular radio rock at the time but like and your sarah mclaughlin cd well and you know what i found actually so sarah mclaughlin and alanis morissette have similar vocal ranges Mm -hmm. and uh totally different singing style but similar vocal ranges and i i used to practice my singing um with their albums and so when I, like I found later on when I would sing, um, I'm, I was more emulating them than, and, and their ranges and not, uh, and not some of the other artists at the time, but, um, but it was, but they were big influence, but I feel like Sarah McLaughlin was not an influence. She had a great album, but mm-hmm. she wasn't really a heavy influence, but Alanis like, spoke to me with her her it's okay to kind of be a clean geeky a little rough around the edges not perfect yeah and you don't have to you don't have to show off your body you know you don't have to slut yourself out you know you can be uh you you know you don't have to um at the same time she wasn't shaming people either she wasn't shaming those that did do she wasn't shaming anybody she was really non what's the word uh like non-confrontational like she didn't have a whole lot of drama around her i mean she married ryan reynolds didn't she for a while yeah i mean that's huge like he's not he's not a an angsty guy either like you know she was just and she she's remained sort of like this funny canadiana geeky chic but but was never but never put herself out as as being 
I don't know. She was just very, always very honest. Yeah, I, she's never she's never been that scandalous celebrity type. Um, no. Never been like, you know, one to show up for the paparazzi and that sort of thing. But that's why she's not cool. Well, I have another theory, though. Okay. Because you, so earlier you're mentioning um, All I Really Want being one of your favorite songs. It's my favorite song on the album, for sure. It was the sixth single off this album. Was it? Okay, I didn't even This know. album had... Half, more than half of the tracks on this album became singles and were hits. And I think at that point, even though her album still sold fairly well and charted fairly well afterwards, obviously they never accomplished what, like, this technically yeah. is one of the biggest selling albums of the 90s, which is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Like, it went double platinum. Like, But I think it was a little bit of overexposure, too, at that point, right? Like, I remember being really tired of hearing Alanis Morissette on the radio. <laughs> I think even I was like that head over heels song was not should not have been a single. It wasn't very good. That well, was- I mean they're all catchy. Like I, I when I when I looked through the list, the list of singles were obviously you ought to know, hand yeah. in my pocket, the one that you first heard, yeah. ironic, which yeah. I, I have I have I a funny theory about it. ironic. Say Speaking it. of how educated she is, how could she not know that the definition of I, I, you I know that know. was that's been overstated <laughs> i know i know but i have a theory about it i think she was like 19 when she wrote that okay but hold on hold on i i do i'll i'll uh i'll yeah, give right. her a redemption in a minute but uh <laughs> then it was you learn that one was good i like uh then head over feet that was lame then all i really want she had hits over a year and a half from one album six hits from they just went back to this endless well so much so that her next two releases that weren't full-length albums were both repackagings of jagged little pill uh one that was a box set that was different remixes of the different versions acoustic versions some like demos like they managed to sell that because they were like shit we can just keep going back to this well um yeah, like I think there was a little bit of overexposure that by the time, yeah, you hit high school and we've been listening to this album since junior high, you know, we're like, we're like, yeah, we're ready to ready to move on. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason why um, there's the feeling that she wasn't cool anymore is just because of the overkill, because anything that gets too big, people yeah. either want to tear it down or they just get tired of it. So because when you look back at it now, I don't know a woman in, in, in our age range that doesn't appreciate that album and, and it's classic to them and said spoke to them somehow. Yeah. So I don't think it's an album that we're really embarrassed of loving. Anymore. No, women. <laughs> Anymore. Women. Uh, but she was very like, very women centered, but not in like an Annie DeFranco cool way. You know, not in the, not in a Fiona Apple aggressive way. But uh, but in a very like, you know, she sort of helped initiate that sort of right girl movement or the, the, yeah. the RRL thing. There was this my favorite um, 1995 spin magazine cover of Alanis. And she's in front is she's got like this silver background behind her and she's got no shirt on. It's just her long ass hair covering her boobs. And, uh, and it's this huge spread on her. And I kept that magazine for like deck, like probably until maybe like five or six years ago, I might've found it. I was like, eventually I got to do something with this or maybe it just disappeared in a move. But um, in that, that article, it was it, like, I just, 
She's got no makeup on. She's got no pretenses. She's not tarted up. She's got this like stringy hair. You know, it's, she's just like, okay. She's just a reg, a real person. Like there's no, it doesn't even look like she's projecting an image. Yeah. So are you saying that because she wasn't like, um, tailing herself to like the male gaze, so to speak, that the guys were like, Meh, what do I care about this yeah. dumb broad? <laughs> like actually 100%. Yeah. I think that she's, she of- sounds angry all the time. Why is she so mad at men? That's yeah, part of it too. They think she's mad at men. 100%, but also because she didn't need men, you know, and in a lot yeah. of her songs, a lot of her songs had everything to do with that. You know, in some ways she's, she's angry like Dave Coulier thing. But, like, <laughs> you know, like, I think yeah. that's a bit of a myth. I think Dave Coulier came after Jagged Little Pill was already. But it was just like, but the you ought to know is about her being upset about a breakup. Okay. So in that one, she's, she's upset, but, but she's not asking for him back, back in that song. She's pissed that, that he's moved on, but she's not asking for him to come back. She's like, you really fucked me over. And then, you know, and all these other ones, it's like, hey, you jerk, what do you think now that I'm a zillionaire and I, I don't need Oh, you? well, there's one about getting taken advantage of by producers. <clears throat> you scan the credits for <laughs> your name. me, but you never even heard a damn word that I said. You know, oh, I had that written down as my favorite <laughs> lyric. It's a great one. Is that the same one with the you wind me, dine me, 69 me? But, but didn't hear a damn word I said. Joke. Take me for a child. He took a one hard look at my ass and then played golf for a while. Your face is like a fish. You slapped me on the ass. Uh, pat me on the head. Pat me on the head. Uh, you took me out to wine dine 69 me, but didn't hear a damn word I said. I see. Yeah. Right you know, it's like she's reached. She's like, I don't need you. I see right through you. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about your ex, your, you know, your debts, your deadlines, or when you think you're going to die? Like she's got all these things about like, I don't need men. I'm, I might be hurt by men, men take advantage, but, and then guys are like, well, what, what's the appeal here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I understand why young men might not, it might have a hard time relating or understanding. And yeah, um, but you know, I've got to say with some distance and some time and like reexamining this album now, I'm like, okay, I, I can even relate to things she's saying, you know, maybe not from a gendered point of view, but just from being a human being and the way people treat each other. Right. Well, so and she's got the head over heels on there. There are parts of that, that album where it's like, oh, you're a good person. I feel healthy. You know, it's like she's got there's there's positive there's a positive. I'm not used to it. I didn't know that I would like it. Yeah, but like um, she, really, she literally uses that word. I feel so healthy now. Like it's like that's what I I really enjoyed about uh, paying attention to the lyrics this time around is that I've always understood what Lance Morissette songs are about. They're easy to understand, but she is still poetic while being pl- plain spoken. And I really appreciate that more than the Fiona Apples, like you mentioned before, who just seem to hit you with this weird poetic mumbo jumbo that you're like, of songwriters. Yeah, but when you're like, I, I, this is a puzzle to figure out. Like, I, I don't always appreciate. It. I mean, if there's some depth there and you can pull it apart, sure. But like, that takes some homework. Like, an Alanis Morissette song. It was you, more literal than metaphoric. She was actually like, "This is what I'm saying." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. somebody, somebody like Fiona Apple seems to be a bit more metaphoric, no. possibly. Yeah. Metaphorical. Yeah. 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 But to to the point where you're like, are you really saying anything? Are you just finding words that rhyme? (laughs) You know, I mean, I get that you're angry. I can hear that in your voice. Um, But uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, 
I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, well, you know what? I'll bring it back to we were talking about ironic. And I know that's been a big discussion for a long time. And I was listening to it today and I was like, wait, hold on. But isn't it also ironic that a song about irony gets the definition of irony wrong? So wait, is does that mean that like ah. the song is actually just kind of a meta joke? Because <laughs> if that, if that was true, that's like, that's, that's irony on a whole other level. That's like Rick and Morty like levels of irony. Oh man, bringing it right back. Yeah, yeah the whole time. It's a, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's, it's meta irony. It's in like 20 years, Alanis is going to like show up on some, like, I don't know, TikTok video or whatever comes out and she'll be like, gotcha. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I was trolling you the whole time. That's how smart she is. She was, yeah. she was trolling before we even knew what trolls were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. Um, I have, I don't know uh, where to go from, from here. Um, you uh, ought to know. <laughs> I know I don't know I'm the host um like so you said you didn't follow her through much of the rest of her career you obviously were aware of it she was still putting stuff out on the radio I would actually say that it's really worthwhile to give a uh, former infatuation junction junkie sorry I don't want to say want to say junction junkie a listen because I think it it is a good complimentary companion to this at record Mm-hmm. And it's no, a little different. mellower overall in some spots, but like it's more reflective. Like you can tell there's been a couple of years of stardom now that like this is about real life, yeah. but now she's got celebrity and, you know, you can hear uh, some of that. Like she, she's definitely a very reflective writer and really like, writes about real life. And I found that there's a lot like she, it, it, sometimes some of her songs can be a little bit of word salad on that album specifically, but it's, it's worth, it's worth a listen. Um, um, I liked uninvited. I know that's a single, but yeah. Yep. Um, Fantastic. I, um, I like the melody of that song. Yeah. And the chord structure. I like the way her voice lilts in the, in that one part. It just something about her voice huh? just catches me a lot. It's like, yeah. it, she just reaches this octave without even trying. And it and but doesn't it doesn't stay, but it just she just sort of it just floats away up there. But but it's not uh, it's not pithy, you know, it's or breathy or anything like that. I like how she shapes her R's. Mm-hmm. Her, it's like it's kind of like a hard R. That I don't know. It almost has like yeah. a certain accent that only she has. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I I was gonna say that um, my personal experience with this album is that I have a con- kind of a conflicted relationship with it. Because I definitely didn't appreciate it as much. I never hated it. But the single for You Ought to Know, when it was getting played on much music back in the day, was is related to like an, an epiphany I had, a musical taste epiphany. And I've brought this up before. I don't know if I mentioned specifically what song it was. but So I was hanging out with my best friend at the time. And, you know, we'd go back to his place after school and just turn on much music, right? And play whatever was playing on much music is what we were into because that's how we learned about music at the time. And You Ought to Know was, I think, number one. If it wasn't number one, it was up there. So we were, like, looking forward to, like, what's going to be number one? And it came on. And I'm like, okay, I like this because it's number one, you know? And he goes, yeah, I know I'm supposed to like it, but I just don't. (laughs) And my mind was blown 
like whatever age I was, let's say 14, this is pre-high school, so junior high, it was the first time I had really stopped to think, wait a second, you mean I can have my own opinion about things? I don't have to just assume that because something's popular that, that it, it's good. So I kind of, just because of that experience with that song, had kind of not written it off so much as was just, I'm a, like, I was always more keeping it at arm's length because I'm like, but this is the thing that made me go, I don't have to like it. Mm-hmm. Which in a weird way is, uh, you know, like to have that basically, is, it, it is it, like, I have to give this a credit <laughs> for, you know, for that epiphany, even though it was through my friend or whatever, which I don't know if he ever came around and was like, hey, you know what? I kind of do like that song. I just didn't like it at the time. Whatever. <laughs> Never had another conversation with him about it. But to this day, I'm always thinking about that when something's popular. I'm like, I got to be a little more discerning than, you know, just accepting it on its laurels to be like, oh, yeah, everybody likes it. So it must be good, right? Like, oh, no, I can have my own taste and opinions on things, you know, <laughs> which maybe, I don't know, made me a bit pedantic at times, <laughs> you know, a, a bit of a contrarian, but, but okay. it was, Everybody. it was, you ought to know that brought it out of me. So, <laughs> yeah, well, but you know what, that's, that's the way I was with Nirvana, actually. And, uh, cause that was, that was the big, big band back at that point too. And I just couldn't and maybe it was because like my former best friend was into nirvana and then she and i stopped being friends and then i was associating it with her and stuff but at the same time too it was just like i just and then the other one was the cranberries i just couldn't get into the cranberries oh really that's interesting i would think that like cranberries would kind of be complimentary to Something like Alanis Morissette. No, yeah. it was because she said the same word over and over and over and over. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> In all of her songs, it was like. But what? But would the Foo Fighters do it like fifteen years later? The best, the best, the well, best. I like them now. I like them now. <laughs> Actually, I was just having a conversation about this on the weekend. Was was that like at the time I just couldn't get into the cranberries, and now like I really do, and it wasn't. And I wasn't always into, like, I, I liked female fronted singers, but it wasn't, I wasn't needing them. You know, like I, I liked garbage. Mm-hmm. I had three of their albums. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't because of Shirley Manson, you know, it was because the, the music was kind of down tempo and stuff like that. And I, I liked Portishead. I really liked Portishead, mm-hmm. but again, it, it was, it, her vocals were great, but um, but it wasn't because it was like female fronted music. There was a lot of female artists that I couldn't get into. I didn't like, who was that one? Oh, I'm losing names right now. But a lot of, there's a, there was several like Canadian female angsty singers and, and I couldn't get into them. And, and um, that, Holly McNarland. That's the one specifically I was thinking of. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. I, 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 right, I, the Canadian specifically, yeah. <laughs> female singers. Holly exactly. McNarland is the one that comes. Yeah. Because yeah. I can't I, see with my eyes open. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. One. Yep. That's the one. I couldn't get into it. It was like, yeah, it's okay. It's kind of polished. I, I feel think. better when I'm numb. Yeah. I know. She was trying really hard to be angsty, but she wasn't. Well, it was it was what was happening at the time. That was the sound. That was the Canadian alternative rock scene too. Like, I have a theory about Canadian music and how you can always tell if it's Canadian, and it still holds true to this day. Got to hear it. 
Okay. Clean guitar. Okay. Clean guitar. Uh, unless we're talking, okay, maybe we'll make an exception with Nickelback, but even not even. But you're talking like radio, FM radio, I'm, top 40, like, alternative I'm, rock. When you're thinking of like Canadian bands, the guitar is always clean. Like it always has kind of like a, like a, like a Stratocaster kind of sound when it's not with any kind of like, it, it's just a clean sound. Like it's like not a, not a overly overdriven, distorted sound, not muddy, not exactly. They're never really heavy. The voices are, are I'm thinking, I mean, I'm thinking like a, I can name like a hundred bands right now that you're, you're probably kind of accurate, <laughs> you know, like, like I mother earth, our lady peace. Yeah. Why they're, they're peace more jangly than odds. they are. And it continues, odds, yeah. continues like the oh, uh, wait, odds. Sorry, not the odds, just uh. odds. <laughs> tragically hip, but you know, like, or even now, who we have the um, the rule, um, what's it called? Rural Alberta Advantage, scenic route to Alaska, the know, Lumineers. They're not Canadian, are wait, they? who am I thinking? No, I'm thinking of somebody who sounds like well, the sheepdogs. Yeah, yeah, but uh, now they got they got a little bit influenced. Or the trues, trues, yeah. I, I, you know, I know what you're saying, Hello? and I, uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a distortion thing per se, but it's a production thing, and there's always just a little bit of something neutered, like just yeah. like any any real edge to a band that's going to be like a popular radio friendly band. They just kind of take that edge off them for the CanCon audiences for yeah. some reason. I don't dislike it. I actually really like the Canadian sound. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm Canadian mm. and I'm used to it, but I. But it's, it's just a little friendlier. That's all. I feel like you were going to add more to the than just the guitars. Well, there is. There's. There's also like a a bit of like a plaintiveness in the voice too. And I'm I'm steering away from like the default Nickelback kind of thing because I feel like that was just a box little niche that's the post grunge box that's over on the uh 100 yeah that's, that's when down group that likes to hang out there yeah and but so like aside from like that that like the bear sound over there um it's the it's just this that they're a little plaintive you know not whiny but but uh but not like thick you know it's they don't have a thick rich voice to them they're often just like nice boys or <laughs> they're just you know, nice boys rain made or downy yeah but uh, just even um uh what's his face from moist yeah oh david yeah usher. i mean david usher is a great singer mm-hmm. but i would say that yeah like even yeah it's very like it, i'm it, mother it, earth yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in it's in the, it's a it's in a certain range. I know exactly what you're talking about where they roll off a lot of the bass and lower mids in their vocals, and yeah. but I think a lot of that's about production too. And it's probably in these production studios in Toronto and wherever else they're making their records that they're like, this is how you get one on the radio. It's got to sound like this. But like Rural Alberta Advantage is the one I'm thinking of these days that kind of fits that mold where they're it's you know they've got that sort of plaintiveness and the clean guitar and the and. Uh, well, that's also how you get played on CBC. <laughs> well, but they're playing on Sonic. Yeah, but 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 still. I know. I know. Well, but that's what I. That's that's the radio. You you also give yourself a name that's very like Canadiana. Yes. You know. Uh, <laughs> Rural Alberta, 
No, no. You name, Not at you, all. you name yourself after, you know, some like, you like call yourself, oh, we're Mundare Sausage. You know, like. Nice. And then you and then you just you sing uh, like kind of nicely about you know maybe like oh in the farmers or in the fields and then people are like oh this goes on Canadian radio for sure this goes on Canadian radio. Um, yeah, well, okay, so this is definitely not an album that none of us had heard, right? So sometimes, obviously, like somebody comes and they're like, "This is the record," and we're like, "Oh shit, okay, I've never heard this. This will be." It, like you know uh, so it's like i don't think anybody learned anything new here but what i wanted to go around uh and ask everybody what they're like so we got your story obviously like um like charlie do you remember being in junior high and this being a big deal or what was your experience with jagged little pill my experience with jagged little pill by <laughs> was that it was a hundred percent the very first CD that I ever owned because yeah. it was a gift. I got like the, the, the CD player three CD turn thing, bookshelf thing. And I got jagged little pills. So I definitely heard, listened to the shit out of it because it was the first one I got. So, um, and I, I was into it. I don't remember. I didn't, I don't, I don't think that I really sat down and like, you know, tore it apart or anything, uh, and came up to any, like, it didn't bring me to any big, big uh, ideas or any big thoughts or anything like that. I mean, I guess as a counterpoint, I was also at the time still listening to probably a lot of um, weird Al Yankovic on cassettes. Uh, probably. Dude, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Alapalooza might have been like the second CD I got. That I was think. one of my first cassettes. Yeah. So... Yeah. We I, um, we did do a now a Weird Al uh, retrospective. If anybody's right. interested, it's in the early hundreds. I think it's like 104, 105. If you want to go listen to, so yeah, yeah, I got this one as a gift, and I def I listened to a lot of it. And I would say going back and re-listening to it, I mean, I think it was it it's I I probably like it more now even than I did before. It was I liked it then, but now I I think I just maybe even understand it a little bit more for what it is. Mm -hmm. cool yeah. uh, Naomi what was your experience when this album um, came out I was in grade 10 and uh I was really captivated by it because I'd already had the first two CDs and I was like what has happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah right how drastically different well, is now, it this is the real it's the last name <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah this is the real her and so I I had it on all the time and then as I progressed into me being a musician and songwriter at that age I ended up writing songs that were heavily influenced by that one that was really really special to me that I, I worked on but I, I realized how much she had affected me as a writer um, just from that album so that album to me will always stand the test of time I could throw it on at any time and be happy to listen to it uh, and I also wanted to mention that I'm pretty sure that she has a... uh oh not mistaken oh well, you... go ahead and repeat yourself Naomi just that, that last that. couple seconds you glitched oh, out there sorry sorry no, um, just about the Broadway thing yeah okay yeah <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that there's a a Broadway show of Jagged Little Pill yeah yes there is yeah so, I mean, I think 
I know at the time when you said it was it was kind of a, a geeky thing that was embarrassing for a while because it was getting overkilled. But I think it's an album now that's considered a classic and everybody will always, I think, for the most part, hold it in high regard. Yeah. I, I, well, OK, so then one of the last things we do is go around and ask everybody once they've listened to it again. And I think I know we're going to get more or less a consensus here, but uh does it hold up? Like, I mean, Tess, I don't know if you've listened to it recently before you did this or not, but. Yes, because I have the CD. I, I, I found one of my CD booklets uh, recently mm -hmm. and that album and, but it was the B booklet, the A booklet disappeared several years ago. So this was the booklet that I didn't of albums I didn't really listen to much anymore and it was there and uh which shows how my opinion sort of changed as I got older but yes yes and yes <laughs> yeah and then my yeah Charlie oh right on Charlie yeah you were saying like you think you like it better now I think I like it better now and I mean come on six out of the 12 songs were hits that's a pretty killer track even a track record even if you're not specifically gangbusters over all six hits or whatever all six singles i mean that's still pretty astounding right yeah um so. and then yeah naomi uh you you think it holds up or it it holds up and uh i want to mention the song not the doctor because i like it a lot <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah after you got a highlight yeah, for me, yeah. my highlight was um, was Forgiven, which was one I'm not as familiar with. And I think on this go through, because I listened, I read the lyrics while I was listening to it. I was like, oh, it's playing his day what the song is about now. Like, I never really <laughs> caught on before. So, but it pulled me in because I was like, I got to listen to the lyrics on this one specifically because I was really more drawn in by the music. And I was like, this one stands out. So Forgiven is the track that stood out for me. Um I think for me, uh, I'm going to say you ought to know just because I did not realize that Flea and Dave Navarro were on it. And it was like, wow, that's a that's a pretty killer backup band. Um, you know? I also didn't know that. Did you know there's a sample on um, um, All I Really Want? Yeah, I think no. so. Yeah, they had to give a credit to a sample. But is it the Beats? Yeah, I think, I think so, yeah. so. I don't yeah. remember what it is now. I, I looked it up a little while ago. It's really it's really obscure, but uh, yeah, I didn't realize you listen to this and it you think it's it's a lot of drum machine um, and loops and stuff, mm -hmm. really well worked. So I, that's what makes me think that they went into the studio and when it was like, okay, what lyrics do you have? Okay, start expressing them and I'll get them down and then start finding and probably just went in and just started building drum loops to be like, okay, here's a rhythm, let's work with this, and that's that's how they built it, right? And then they just started laying into like what what range is she singing in? Let's find that key, and then started laying bass lines I, down and guitar was built around that you know like that's how I, in my head that's how this was all done i just think the the intro to all i want is like i can still think of it you know it, where it's like it starts up slow and then it's got this lo, little like rolling part and then the guitar comes in and then her first line of the whole album is do i stress you out and i'm like yes <laughs> it's like that's the first line is is her being a misfit yeah well cool. yeah so yeah. um my more recent experience with alanis morissette was that you know like i hadn't really followed or paid attention much i mean you know she'd pop up here and there i maybe heard a single but um was um Speaking of the song, um, all I really want, um, 
or whatever. What is it? All I really all, all I really want. All right. I really want. Yeah, is so Amy, my partner. It's her like one of her go to karaoke jams, and that's the first time I was like really paying attention to those lyrics, and I was like, oh shit, these are good lyrics. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. who knew? All right, and Slap then me with that splintered ruler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then, so then uh, we've been on obviously a few road trips uh, over over the course of our relationship, and one of the things that's like easy for us to kind of just throw on for music is like let's just throw on all the dumb '90s jams that mm-hmm. you know like we've even forgotten about, right? Like just the stuff that's just like the throwaway pop music that I might have hated at the time, but you know, with some distance in time or whatever, now it's just fun, that sort of thing, and. We ended up putting on the Alanis Morissette albums because, she, you know, she's well, she's a fan, but I'm like, yeah, fuck it. That fits this category. And then we're listening back not through just this album, but also through former Infatuation Junkie. And I'm going like, oh, this is better than I remember it being. <laughs> so I don't know if it's one of those things that like obviously it hit and was successful at the time. But it definitely has like um, some lasting power, you know. It's it 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 doesn't sound so specifically like everything else that was going on at the time. I I mean the closest thing I could think of when I was trying to think of like what like what else sounded like Alanis Morissette was Dave Matthews was the only other thing I could come up with. And not that and that's what I mean is like that's not really that great <laughs> of a comparison. But just the way okay. the music is structured, the lyrical content, I'm like, it's closer to Dave Matthews than it is to Pearl Jam. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's closer to Dave Matthews than it is to, I don't know, Nirvana or Soundgarden or anything that was would have been contemporary. You yes. know, or Green Day or whatever, you know. like. There's no power the, chords. Yeah. That's what I mean is is the way the, the, the song structure has a bit of a kind of a a freer form to it mm-hmm. even though it is intricate it's clean not what, what's that clean guitar well clean guitar yeah see so i was trying to figure out i was like so it's hard to find something that this is analogous to it, it really kind of you know stands the sound stands more or less on its own you know mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it's funny to me listening to it this time one of the things that really i was really blown away maybe by was like miles? what's that maybe kind of alana milesy but i don't know Maybe not. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Naomi, you're kind of, you're more the expert on Alana Miles. What do you think? She still was, I think Alana Miles was still too, like, like it was not too, like it's a bad thing, but I still think she's a little, she was a little more rock centric, yeah. a little more um, verse, pre-chorus, yeah. chorus, yeah. you but, know, uh, structured songwriting, pop hook type thing. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it's just a long-winded way of saying it really stands on its own. Yeah. And I think it's worth a listen to anybody. I mean, no matter what kind of music fan you are. I mean, yeah, maybe you relate to maybe you don't, but it'll it's at least an interesting listen. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest crimes <laughs> to my ears is when some, when something's just not interesting. Mm-hmm. You know? And even when I... Even when there's like kind of hits or misses, like, like that song Perfect or whatever, you know, that we were saying, yeah, it's kind of the low point on the album. It's never not interesting. No, and like the song is, it's not bad. It's just. It's just weak compared to a very, the rest of a very strong album. Exactly, exactly. It's just kind of like a, it's like an in-between, between between like You Ought to Know and Hand in My Pocket. For sure. Um, Well, I think this has been an awesome conversation, Tess. Thanks for coming on and uh, chatting with us. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's nice um, to see you guys, even through a computer. Yeah. I know, I know. This is the new normal not, bit. Yeah, it's not like the New City Liquid Lounge or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hitting the suburbs back in the day. Yeah, right, goth industrial night. <laughs> is it punk rock bingo tonight? That's right. Uh, it's rub- well, What day is it? Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, what else happens? I, I, I forgot. <laughs> uh, shots of Jaeger, probably. Well, shots of Jaeger are always on special. <laughs> uh, if you get there before nine o'clock, you don't have to pay cover, and pints were super cheap until ten o'clock. Just the music is better. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tess, is there anything that uh, you want to plug before you know? I know you don't have like any projects or anything on the go, but uh, if there's like a cause or something that you want people to know about. Oh, well, what, you want me to get political? No, you don't have to get political. You can do whatever you want. I'm just saying if there's something that you, because this is the spot where we let guests, you know, plug whatever whatever they well, got going on. As an elementary school teacher, uh, you know, who's currently, you know, battling against pension takeovers, and we've got a hashtag called Red for Ed Alberta, uh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I feel like, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like the listeners are hopefully a more liberal bunch and can and value education. Yeah, music, music fans. I feel like they, they appreciate their teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash learning to listen. That's where you get all the bonus content, all that extra exciting stuff we talk about when we're warming up the mics. Um, yeah, like, you know, although today wasn't so much warm, it was cold, but, but you know, we, we try to heat it up with a little bit of smut talk. So, you know, get your steamy smut talk, but you got to go to patreon.com slash learning to listen. And of course, we're on all the other social sites. Just go to, you know what? We've got a link tree. Go to link tree. Uh, what, what is it? Dot something <laughs> slash L2L. Yeah. Good luck finding it. Uh, you can figure it out. Slash L2L pod. I, I, I'm tired of plugging Facebook. And all this <laughs> garbage. Really, I only want to use Instagram. I don't want to use anything else. But we do post it there. So if you're like, but how will I know if I'm only using Twitter? Well, then go to Twitter. Go to Facebook. It's fine. But I'm just saying, uh, those are the best ones. Uh, what else? You know? Oh yeah, you can always tell us that uh, we suck and we don't know what we're talking about, and we, you know, we want to hear it. We want to hear feedback, even if it's negative. You know, because at least we knew we affected you. So reach out to learning to listen podcast at gmail dot com, or maybe you can bully way onto the show and be like, no, I am an expert and I will talk about this. So, yeah, <laughs> let us let us know. Let us know. You know, maybe you want to pick a fight with Tess and tell her she has no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> they can call our phone number. Oh, yeah. The hotline. That's a, a good way mail. to do it, too. That's an easier way to do it. We can hear your beautiful voice yelling Leave at us. Leave us a strongly worded voicemail at 780-851-8785. Nicely done. Or okay. a nice one. Um, yeah. So, anyway, once again, Tess, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hey, let's do some. Uh, let's do this. We're switching up from normal because of the teacher thing. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so the way we, uh, whenever we have a guest on, the last, absolute last thing we ask the guest to do is just give us a big rap, rap, wrap it up. And by that I mean all you have to do is say rap, rap, wrap it up, and then the show's over. 
Done. was fun yeah. and then it got really dark for a while a little bit anti-establishment but the next mm-hmm. thing you knew it was totally fun again so many artists came and went and left us wondering what are they doing now this podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions it's about everyone else the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade and kind of just still live in our memory so you mean vanilla ice had another song we all know what happened to marky mark but what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF? And why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and new jack swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Special guests will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, Man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out. I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting a move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter, at Nostalgia Dope. Or you can find us on Instagram at dope underscore nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com.